Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 429 featuring Stan Zamansky. Stan the man has been around for a long time. He has uh, formed Stanley Vision, which is his own company. It's a recruiting headhunting company. Really amazing things that he's done. He has over 30 years of experience in visual effects. He knows absolutely everyone, especially some of the top, top talent in the industry. If you are looking for talent or you would like to find a good position, he is definitely one of the best places to start. Uh, a really cool guy. So we start obviously figuring out his history and how he got into what he does, which is really cool as it is. Uh, but he's worked on some of the biggest films. I actually uh, worked with him briefly, uh, or at the same company briefly, when he was at Sony Imageworks and I was there as well back when it was a uh, very, very, very big company. And he tried to bring all of those people together and uh, single-handedly figured uh, out the best way to create a massive recruiting team over at Sony. So really cool to talk to him and find out more about what's going on in the industry right now. And uh, highly, highly recommend that you guys listen to the whole thing because towards the end of the podcast, he gives very specific advice on how to find the best talent, what you should look for in the best talent, and also how to be seen as the best talent. So really, really good advice for a lot of people to do. So definitely listen to the whole episode if you guys want to know more about that. Uh, it was awesome talking to Stan as well. Uh, really cool guy. And definitely check out all the information about uh, Stanley Vision and the things that they are doing over there. All right, we've got a couple of announcements. Uh, V-Ray 6 for Maya Update 1 is out, as well as V-Ray 6 for Cinema 4D Update 1. Lots of great features across these two uh, platforms that have been added. Uh, scatter, bump to glossy, enhanced clouds, uh, AI denoising and upscaling uh, available as well. So, and much, 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 much more. And I highly recommend you guys go check that out. If you are a Maya or Cinema 4D user, you are definitely going to want to upgrade to this version. Uh, all of that can be found at chaos.com. Uh, so check it out. V-Ray 6 Update 1 for Maya and V-Ray 6 Update 1 for Cinema. 4D. Uh, we are going to be at a few events coming up real soon. Uh, we are going to be obviously at AIA. That's in San Francisco. That is June 6th to 9th, which is uh, this week. And uh, we are also going to be at Neocon uh, the next week, which is going to be June 11th through 13th. And that is going to be in Chicago. So if you're interested in joining us for any of those things, we would love to see you. Uh, but if you want to know more about the podcast, you can always go to our website, highly recommend that chaos.com slash CG garage. Uh, and that is where you'll find all the podcast page, including any links that you may uh, see related to this podcast, such as if you want to know more about Stanley and more about his company, just go to that website and you'll find out more about that. Uh, we can also, also find us on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash CG garage podcast. And if you'd like to watch any of these podcasts, I also recommend that you just go to youtube.com slash chaos group TV, where we post all of our videos, including all of the podcasts. Again, that is youtube.com slash chaos group TV. And if you'd like to have a comment or uh, questions or actually recommend uh, different guests, we have been getting some great ones and you've been adding them a lot recently, uh, just go email us, labs at chaos.com. We would love to hear from you there. Uh, but for now, please enjoy episode number 429 with Stan Zemanski of Stanley Vision. Welcome to another CG Garage. Where the chaos group talks You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops 
We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. So Stan, it is really, really cool to talk to you. Uh, I'm very excited to talk to you. The, 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 the first time I sort of encountered, and you probably don't remember this because this was a long, long time ago. And, uh, okay. and uh, but I encountered you when I started my uh, job over at Sony Imageworks. <laughs> Uh, and I was working on Ghost Rider. That was the the project I was going to be on. And you were okay. in the middle of uh, trying to expand Sony to unbelievable sizes, <laughs> trying to hire up. Yeah, I did that from when I walked in the door at 96. Yeah. <laughs> it was like nonstop, yeah. Yeah, so I know that that you have a lot of experience in terms of uh, uh, growing companies and working companies and uh, acquiring talent more specifically. Uh, but uh, before we even get into that, uh, let's sort sure. of uh, talk about like how did you how did you start getting interested in visual effects and where where does that sort of your your origin story in terms of that process? Okay, yeah, I uh, I've been a film fan you know all my life. I, you know, I could say you know uh, cinema, but I'll just say movies. I just grew up watching movies. The first movie I can remember seeing was the uh, was Nosferatu. It was playing on public TV in Buffalo, and I was four years old. <laughs> it scared the crap out of me. Uh, and so, I, you know, I had two older brothers, so I, I grew up around horror and sci-fi. And my oldest brother was taking my dad's 8-millimeter camera and doing stop motion with, you know, Army soldiers fighting models. And, you know, being the young kid, I was always, like, wanting to take what he did and then plus it. Uh, and then go on top of it. So I sort of started out with that background. Of course, a, a huge fan of Ray Harryhausen, Willis O'Brien. You know, King Kong is still on my top 10 list. I mean, Which the one? 33 version. <laughs> 33 version. 33, yeah. 33 version, yeah. And, uh, you know, so that kind of started it. Uh, my educational background took a little bit of a shift. Uh, I started out, uh, started out art education. And art education began with uh, dual... Uh, tracks of uh, artist training, if you will, like fine arts, drawing, painting, and then graphic design, typography, illustration. So I was doing all those, doing really well, loving it. And then I took my first education class and I was like, what a load of crap. So I went <laughs> I went and changed my major like right away. Uh, so I graduated with a degree in uh, graphic design with a minor in fine arts. Uh, and, you know, uh, I'll spare you the step-by-step -step analysis, but so my first real experience in visual effects was uh, working in the post-production industry, uh, working on a lot of television commercials, uh, starting out in Pittsburgh, which is where I met my wife. Uh, and then we moved to L.A. after four years. And uh, I found myself in a situation uh, working on top commercials for Nike and McDonald's and, uh, you know, really, really big brands because my wife worked for the director's company and he liked the work that we were doing. So, you know, I was this kid from Buffalo and all of a sudden I'm working on Nike, 90 second Nike commercials for the Super Bowl. Uh, and the, the Nike Super Bowl spot we worked on uh, is in the collection of the Museum of Modern Art uh, under uh, television commercials. Wow. <laughs> uh, it was, it was a pretty ma major commercial. And while I was working on it, the earthquake hit. Uh, so it was very interesting. Uh, the building I was working out of, 
which was Edital on Melrose, uh, half of the building was condemned. So I was scrambling with all the sister companies trying to find a place to work to finish the things. It's It was sort of like, uh, you know, uh, learning in production that you need to do what you need to do just to get it done. Right. So that, that actually worked really well for me in my career. Also, the fact that I was you had to learn to be work really fast. Uh, and uh, as a visual effects producer on a lot of these commercial jobs, uh, it was my job to actually find talent to come in and work second shift or third shift or, you know, whatever, depending on what our schedule was. Um, and then from there, I gradually wound my way into films. Uh, the first film I worked on was uh, a sci-fi film with Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe. Uh, directed by Brett Leonard. So I was actually working directly for Brett Leonard's company on Virtuosity. Uh, and they brought me in because I had experience both in post and in uh, 3D CG. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had uh, spent some time uh, at Metrolight where I learned, you know, larger scale, higher resolution CG work. Uh, and uh, from there, uh, I was approached by friends of mine who asked me if I'd be interested in joining them on a project. So uh, I went down and met with them, really liked the people, liked the place. It was uh, POP or Pacific Ocean Post, yep. which then became Riot Films. Uh, and uh, so, and then they gave me the script to read and I read the script and I was not really not that impressed. Uh, I thought actually it read like great, like entertainment, but it also struck me as a complete uh, remake of uh, War of the Worlds. Uh, crafted onto the Towering Inferno and the Poseidon Adventure, which actually wound up being a really good formula. I think Roland is still working that one. Uh, and uh, so I, basically I got lucky. You know, the film, I really liked working with the people I was working with. I was working directly with uh, the director and his producers, working with Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich. Uh, and it was a really fun project. Uh, and, I, you know, I got lucky. We found out halfway through that this movie was really going to be something. Uh, and I remember standing out on, on the outside of, in front of my office, which was on the corner of Arizona and Lincoln in Santa Monica. Yep, I've been in and, that building. It became method. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And looking up and seeing the helicopter go by with the banner that said the world ends July 3rd. And I was like, okay, this thing is really going to be big. Right. Uh, so, you know, from there, it directly led me to a job in uh, at Sony Imageworks as a VP of, of uh, digital production. And there was also a collection uh, connection to my post-production experience. The executive producer who hired me for Editel uh, had gone over to Imageworks and was an executive producer there. So he contacted me and asked me to come in and interview with folks. And, you know, I, you know, it was a great opportunity. So I just, you know, jumped on it. And uh, so I came in in 96 uh, I literally interviewed at Imageworks the day we delivered the last final on Independence Day. Uh, and from there on, uh, my job was like nonstop everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I joined soon after the ILM invasion had begun and people like Lincoln Who and Ken Ralston mm-hmm. uh, had come in, as well as Debbie DeNice. Uh, and with Debbie and Ken came the Robert Zemeckis projects. So that was the beginning of Imageworks starting to become, 
you know, a much bigger company instead of a, a small group in the TriStar building right. on the, you know, the Columbia Studios. And it's, was, the, was the building built at that point? Because you guys knew you could, Yeah, it Yeah, was. okay. And it was a very interesting yeah. building because uh, actually a friend of mine uh, was one of the architects who worked on the design of that because at that time it was kind of a unique thing to think about putting all the workstations in the machine room. <laughs> And people would VPN yeah. into them. And nowadays, that's very common. But back then, it was like crazy. Like they were going to do this. Yeah. It was a very interesting design building for visual effects. It was sort of designed for it at that point, right? Yeah. And we, uh, we actually kicked out uh, uh, Sony Pictures Television Accounting to right. take <laughs> take over the building. So we started on like one floor, and then it became one and a half, and then it became two and then it became the third floor, and then it became 12 other buildings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when, when I started, the digital production department probably had uh, all in uh, maybe 100 people, 125. Mm -hmm. uh, and at our peak, uh, there were 1,200 people in the in the company and about 750 in digital production. Yeah. So it was a little bit, you know, crazy. My job was artist management, uh, you know, uh, deals, promotions, performance reviews, uh, performance counseling, uh, all of that kind of stuff, uh, as well as supervising crewing and scheduling. So I was the internal liaison to the producers on all the projects and helping them get the kind of talent that they needed, uh, which was not always easy to do, uh, you know, especially since I was very committed to load balancing the talent. So I would have to go to a producer who had like the top Houdini person and say, well, you've also got three other top Houdini persons. So I'm not, you know, my job is to cripple every show without killing one of them. Right. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I did that. And then my third boss who came in uh, was Tim Sarnoff. Right. And uh, that was, we had finished Starship Troopers and it was probably about six months before we started working on, uh, Hollow Man. Mm -hmm. And uh, I then, you know, went on to work with the, for him the majority of my career at Imageworks. And about two years into the job, he asked me to take over recruiting uh, for Imageworks. Uh, so what I, I told him that I would do it, but I needed his support to move HR into a supporting role rather than a leading role. Uh, just because they, you know, they didn't work at the pace we needed to work for recruiting uh, purposes. For recruiting, right. yeah. So I changed recruiting completely and focused it on searching for passive candidates, uh, and eventually had at the peak, I think I had twelve, no, ten recruiters working for me, two offsite uh, and eight in the building. Yep. Uh, and uh, I had to restructure the department because I really needed to focus on recruiting during the biggest growth spurt which is where we're doing, you know, uh, uh, Monster House and then going into Beowulf and yeah. Sony Pictures Animation. I was, so I was up. part of that. Yeah. I was part of that group. And I remember that very, yeah. but you guys had it so organized because obviously, uh, you know, we knew Sony was growing and there was a great opportunity there. And so I submitted my reel and they're like, okay, great. We have you coming here for a whole day. You're going to do five interviews with five different productions. Right. And, uh, and I was like, oh my God. Uh, so it was kind of a little overwhelming. And then here I saw a room of like, you know, 20 or 30 people that were all coming in to be interviewed. And I realized like this growth is unbelievable. It was very well organized. I got to say. <laughs> and it was, well, it was trial and error that got us. Yeah. There. <laughs> yeah. And it was, you know, you had your, you had a contact for your recruiter. You knew exactly what's going on. You had your feedback that went through all the different uh, supervisors. Uh, and uh, yeah, it ultimately led me to get a job and work on Ghostwriter. 
Well, I think part of the reason the recruiting worked so well was that uh, uh, I shifted the type of recruiter I was hiring and mm. went from uh, hiring HR style recruiters uh, to people who are coming directly out of production, uh, like senior coordinators, production managers coming out of uh, Weta, uh, DreamWorks, ILM, uh, and basically trained these folks how to hire somebody. Right. Uh, you know, I realized that they understood the hierarchy of visual effects studio. Uh, and, you know, they also had a lot of contacts that they walked in the door with. So we would meet like twice a week and go over where we were with each position. Now, while all this was going on, I built a artist management department. Uh, I built a crewing and scheduling department and I, I uh, staffed both of them. The artist management, I brought down Ken Moriyama, who had been at ILM for many years. Uh, and then uh, Diane Sinclair, who joined ImageWorks when Centropolis folded, uh, was one of my recruiters. So I put Diane in charge of that. And then I stayed over control over recruiting uh, and came up with a really effective method for recruiting passive talent. Uh, and that entailed uh, at least two weekends a month uh, going up to the Bay Area and just setting up camp. Uh, in a hotel downtown San Francisco because it was mutually inconvenient for everybody. Uh, and I then proceeded to have, you know, dinners, lunches, breakfasts, uh, drinks, coffee with all this top talent that, you know, that I could meet with. And I was really effective at it because I'd been the head of in, in charge of digital production and I was also in charge of crewing and scheduling. So I know what roles were open on which productions uh, I knew what the job paid. I knew what the career path looked like. I knew how I could put a deal together and talk to them about, you know, uh, uh, bonuses, relocation. And if the person was really, really interested, in some cases, I actually made them a job offer on the spot. Uh, so because I could operate that fast, um, it was very effective. I think in our peak, we hired 600 people in one year. Uh, that was probably the most that was the most we had hired. Yeah. And this was just in digital production. You know, I was also helping to support the animation group, which had their own recruiting. Oh, team. right. The spa group, uh, which was new at the time, right? No, no. This was the digital character group. Oh. Uh, so they were formed when, uh, you know, when I joined, ImageWorks was working on Anaconda. That was the first project the digital character group was working on. And that landmark piece of American I love cinema. it. Uh, it's one of my yeah, favorites. Yeah, me too. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is really great. And what was really interesting is uh, Barry Weiss was the gentleman who headed up the digital character group. And Barry brought in traditional animators from, you know, 2D cell animation, from stop motion, uh, and structured deals so they could come into the studio and there was a six-month trial period for both ImageWorks as well as the talent. So if, you know, they were hired under a contract, let's say it was a two-year contract with a one-year option, after six months, if they really didn't like working on computers, we would release them, no harm, no foul. And if they really weren't getting it, we were able to release them as well. But everybody knew what the deal was going in. So it was a very humane, you know, way to deal with everything. Yeah. So I'm sorry, that, that was a long answer to a short No, question. it's great. This is the history I want to hear. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, so so yeah, that was a really sort of an interesting thing. But that, that was really where you sort of took the idea of recruiting and finding talent to a new level, right? It was, you guys were doing it in a very, very strong way, stronger than I've ever seen any other 
company do, right? Yeah, which all, with also a much smaller team. Right. Uh, and some of the people I hired and trained to recruit uh, are, you know, still in the industry. Uh, Camille Eden was actually the yep. first person I hired. She was my recruiter. She joined after, <laughs> yeah, she joined after Shark's Tale. Yep. And, you know, uh, it, it was funny because when she came in, I made her interview four times because I wasn't 100% convinced mm-hmm. that I wanted to do this. And then after I did it, I'm just like, oh. Camille is amazing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I got to work with her all those years. And now she's like VP of talent uh, and talent acquisition at Nickelodeon, yeah. having been at DreamWorks for years. And and then I also hired Kelly Barshig, who replaced Camille. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kelly joined after she finished King Kong at Weta. Right. Uh, so, and then actually, uh, at one point, I hired Suzanne Labrie, who had been head of, like, uh, head of operations for Weta Digital. And her and her husband, John Labrie, moved back to Los Angeles. So I met her over coffee and said, look, you're probably going to tell me, you know, to get lost. But would you be interested in coming in and recruiting? And and she was like, yeah. So, you know, she came in and now I had this inside information to exactly how Weta did everything, how they onboarded people, you know, what, you know, what the situation was like working there. And it was just, it was a really, really great team. Uh it was a lot of work. It kind of burned me out after a while. But yeah. So, so what back in those days, and I want to sort of talk about how that, you know, how it used to be and how it is now, but back in those days, how did you find talent? Well, I mean, I remember there was always time when the, Oh, this company's in trouble or this movie's about to wrap. And it was an opportunity to find talent or to get that talent. Right. So what, how, what was your, what was your methodology back then to, to find the people you needed and what you needed to do to get them? Uh, no, that's a great question. And there's a couple of different ways that I did that. Uh, one of them was I was very plugged in with the uh, uh, the senior staff, the new business team, uh, including Deborah Giratana, who's now over at uh, Framestore. Mm-hmm. Is it Framestore? I, could, I lost track of which company is which. Okay. Yeah, she's over at Framestore. And, and also Jenny Foley, who was the second uh, executive producer, as well as Tim Sarnoff and marketing and finance. So they would tell me what was going on. Uh, and I remember one year at SIGGRAPH, uh, I ran into Deb right up in front of the L.A. Convention Center, uh, and she said, Stan, come here, I have to tell you something. I was like, yeah, okay, what? Uh, and she was like, okay, so uh, the uh, – what was the the uh, Matrix company up in uh, Alameda? Uh, uh, Manix? Uh, yeah, no, Escape. Escape, Escape, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she said, Escape just lost Superman. Actually, they lost this to us, mm-hmm. so they're going to be closing the studio. So as soon as I heard that, I just like left, went, you know, went back to the office, gathered all the recruiters together and said, okay, let's start putting our heads together and let's do some research. Let's find out who we know uh, and identify people uh, from that company. Right. Uh, so there was that. Uh, but I think the whole idea of switching to passive recruiting, uh, it happened organically. I remember having a conversation in the hallway with like three very senior TDs that I stole from ILM. Mm-hmm. ILM, by the way, is one of the few companies that have never worked with us. Okay. And I, don't, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Right. But anyways, so I said, you know, I'm trying to find out how do I get to the people that aren't being laid off? Right. Uh, and, you know, do you guys have any names you could point me to? So, you know, I started mining all the people in the studio to find people that they liked. And like I said, the recruiters were coming in with contacts. So it was sort of a combination of everything. Uh, and then, then we started doing the, uh, uh, the road shows uh, where we would just set up camp in a market 
you know, we went to Wellington twice, once three months before delivery of Return of the King, uh, and once while King Kong was on hiatus. Uh, and we would set up shop. I would come in with a recruiting coordinator, uh, as well as animation directors, uh, CG supervisors, uh, and we would just like camp out. I think that after the return of the King, we interviewed 83 people in two and a half days. Wow. Uh, and I, I was like really fried after that. Uh, but you know, it was fun. Yeah. So a lot of the guys who are still at Weta that are like the top visual effects supervisors, like Eric Sandin and Guy Williams, I was like working with those guys trying to steal them, but I could just never put the deal together. Right. So, so basically it was sort of a combination of all of those. Uh, you know, it would be, uh, working with new business to find out what was going on, what project was being awarded, uh, what project just got cut, uh, as well as uh, mining the senior artists at various companies in various locations to find out who they knew, uh, and then uh, working with my recruiters to find out who they knew. And then a couple of years into it, that's when we started doing the roadshows. I think the first roadshow we did was in London uh, after uh, Framestore and MPC delivered uh, Harry Potter and I think it was a prisoner of Azkaban. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's pretty much how we did it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So how, how long was your, 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 your stay at uh, Imageworks? It was about 13 and a half years. Wow. Uh, in the last two years I was there, I pretty much wasn't, I wasn't supervising digital production anymore. Okay. I was now just working in recruiting, uh, which, you know, it was kind of nice. It was it was really boring after doing all that stuff at once, right. which, like I said, juggling all of that stuff was really tough. Uh, and, you know, whereas some studios would have a team of, say, 25 people in artist management and then recruiting on top of it. And we were working with teams of uh, four people up to, you know, 16 people, and we were doing everything. Sure. Uh, so we were, we also kept the head count. We, we kept the overhead really low in the department. Uh, and, you know, I was the guy who was also in charge of tracking utilization uh, and finding out, you know, if an artist utilization was falling too low, tracking what was their utilization across multiple projects to see, was it declining? Was it increasing? Was it flatlining? Uh, and I used all that information. Plus uh, I hearing from the new business team, what was likely to come in Uh because I was also the guy that was in charge of uh, deciding who stayed and who went uh, when there were too many artists and not enough work. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So I, I, and I was a basket case when that stuff was happening, yeah. like two weeks before and after it was just like, just don't talk to me. Right. Uh, cause I was just really miserable. Yeah. Of course. But anyways, that's a tough job to have to do. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the one thing that uh, it really helped me in recruiting because because I was recruiting people directly who were going to come into the company and work for me, mm -hmm. uh, uh, I was, uh, and also I was dealing with crewing and scheduling and, you know, really learning more and more about the match of talent to the specific requirements of any position on any show. Uh, and because of that, I really, you know, learned that it's all about fit. Uh, you know, you can't force it. I, I'm, not a I'm not a recruiter that sells a person. I'm just like, look, I think this person is great. Do you like them? No? Okay, why not? And then go back to the person that maybe they declined and sort of give them information and tell them as much as we could or as much as we knew about why they weren't chosen. Right. Right. Okay. 
Well, what 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 happened after after ImageWorks? What 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 where where did you go from there? Uh, so ImageWorks was uh, let me see. I left in January of 2010. Okay. Uh, Tim Sarnoff had left before me right. and went over to Technicolor uh, to become the uh, oh god I don't know if he was president. Yeah, I think he was president of. It was called Production Services at the time. Right. And Tim joined shortly after Technicolor bought MPC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when, uh, you know, Stanley, when I was going to be leaving ImageWorks uh, and, Stan- and starting up Stanley Vision, you know, dealing with attorneys and accountants and all of that kind of stuff. Well, actually, I wasn't. My wife, Jackie, was because her background is production finance. Right. So she was dealing with all that stuff. And I spoke to Tim uh, and he brought me in. Uh, and my first job was actually working with MPC Film. Uh, they, I flew over to London and I worked directly with Christian Robertson and Mark Benson, analyzing how they were doing recruiting uh, and, you know, consulting and advising them how to improve their recruiting process and speed it up. Uh, so that was my first job. And then after that was done, then I, we went on to recruit for MPC in multiple locations, uh, starting with Vancouver. Uh, and then ending with uh, Montreal was actually the last place we worked on. So, uh, and we also worked with NPC during their big growth spurt, both in terms of people, uh, but also in terms of uh, technology uh, and quality of imagery, and you know all of that kind of stuff. So we started when they were doing, I don't know, 150 shots on A Team, uh, you know those kind of projects, and we ended. Uh, filling a 40-person satellite office in Playa Vista to support the Jungle Book team that was uh, working with the virtual art department right. uh, to basically sort of, you know, design the whole film before anything was rendered. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that project, of course, very, very much so. Uh, but you were doing this as an independent company, right? So at this point, you were, you yeah. were, so you were basically a consultant, uh, consulting company for these people. Yeah, they were just, they were just paying us. Right. Uh, and the way Stanley Vision was working was we were doing consulting projects. Uh, we were doing headhunting, uh, and headhunting was mostly visual effects supervisors, executive producers. Uh, you know, C-suite, which is CEO, CTO, chief operating officer, you know, that kind of stuff. And we are also sourcing. So companies would hire us to identify candidates, uh, find out who was interested, uh, interview that person for the studio, write up notes, and then send it along to the recruiters with all the contact information Mm. and everything they needed to know to make a decision about if they want to interview this person or not. So so, uh, when we were working on uh, Jungle Book and Lion King, we were actually uh, under a non-exclusive deal with MPC, but they paid us a re- weekly retainer. So they could use us for whatever they needed. Uh, and when they asked us to hire people like, you know, we brought in their GM, uh, Amelie Dassault, for MPC film in Montreal. Uh, and we, w- we gave them a greatly reduced, you know, commission fee for that. It was a, sort of a bundled deal. And that ended... Uh, really right after Lion King. You know, we came into Lion King again, hired them producers, uh, systems engineers, uh, and people to come in and set up the office. Uh, and the thing for me that was really interesting about both of those projects is uh, I had worked, well, not only with NPC, but I had also worked with Rob Legato on, I think, like six films mm-hmm. at Imageworks. Uh, and Andy Jones, I actually recruited Andy Jones from DD to join Imageworks. This is after iRobot, right? Superman. 
Yeah, yeah, right after I Yeah, robot. I was part of that. Uh, I was so I was part of that transition as well. So ah, he, okay. he and I both worked okay, on yeah. iRobot together, and so yeah, that was the thing. Yeah, Andy's a great yes. guy. <laughs> oh, he's such a nice guy, yeah. and such a good film too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, in John Favreau, uh, I didn't work with him directly, but my wife did because she was the production finance person for ImageWorks on uh, Zathura. Zathura, Zathura, right? Zathura, yeah. Zathura. Yeah, I can never remember how to pronounce yeah. it. Uh, so, so we had wound up working with all of them. Mm-hmm. And I remember when we were working on the LA, the first LA project for Jungle Book, I got a call one day from uh, Philip Greenlow, who at the time was the executive producer for NPC Film, and Andy Jones, yep. right? So they called me up and they said, so Stan, uh, would you be interested in recruiting animators for Company X? I don't want to name the company, but it was another company right. involved in the project. Uh, and... Uh, and then hand them over to their recruiters to hire. And I said, okay, so wait a minute. So I'm under retainer for NPC Film. I'm helping you staff the satellite office in Los Angeles, but you want me to work with company XYZ mm-hmm. to give them animators? And they said, yeah. And I was like, okay, no problem. I just want to make sure right. that I was clear yep. on what you wanted. Yeah. So, And because we were, uh, for Jungle Book, we were staffing people in Los Angeles. Uh, I think it took me and Jackie, uh, Three and a half weeks to staff everything from digital effects supervisors to uh, you know operating officers, line producers, and all types of digital artists. Uh, it just happened really, really fast. Uh, so you know it was a good experience. Plus, you know, as I was working with Stanley Vision, I was learning how to partner better with the internal HR and recruiting teams. Sure. Uh, yeah. The, the uh, that was not always a joyous experience when I was at. ImageWorks, I was the liaison to Sony Pictures' corporate HR teams, right. which were mostly attorneys. Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, that was, <laughs> it was a fun, it was fun. I'll just leave it at that. That's a nice way of saying it. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I understand uh, there's, uh, I mean, it's really interesting, but l- let's, let's actually, you know, y- there's obviously been some some transitions in terms of what kind of talent you're looking for these days, because back yeah. in the the back in the day, shall we say, uh, generalists were not necessarily a big as uh, a, a, a very uh, healthy thing to get. You needed to have specialists. You need to have, you know, heart service models, yeah. you know, character models. Everything was very, dis- you know, set into these little silos. Uh, yeah, it was a, an assembly line. And I don't mean that in a bad way, nope. but that was really the production mode. Yeah, yeah, I mean, pipeline was very set. And I remember specifically yeah. at, at ImageWorks, it was a very set pipeline. It just went... You just did your your whole process, but nowadays people are much more flexible in terms of how they do things or how they approach things, especially with uh, the rise of virtual production and what the, all of the things that it sure. implies. How has that changed the way that you look at talent and how you find people? It's uh, a great question. Uh, one of the things that Jackie and I really enjoy about Stanley Vision is we get to, I don't want to sound arrogant, but we get to pick and choose which projects we want to work on. Mm -hmm. And we always have an eye out for, well, bread and butter projects are always there, but we always have our eye out for uh, uh, new roles, things we've never worked on before, to sort of expand our list of contacts in other businesses. And I think really the first time we got into that in a big way was uh, working with PlayStation. And we worked with actually three different divisions of PlayStation. Uh, the fir- our first project with them was hiring them a creative development executive uh, that would be based out of Los Angeles uh, for this uh, this uh, uh, 
confidential new division that was being built at PlayStations, and they wanted people who were traditional traditional producers, not visual effects producers, but also people who were, you know, really rabid gamers. Uh, so uh, we hired uh, them someone uh, who I think we got him out of Guy Ritchie's company. And he had worked on stuff like Social Network and Captain Phillips at Sony. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also had played games since he was like six okay. uh, and was a sort of an unofficial consultant to multiple studios on advising them what director and producer to pair with which game property uh, to have it done correctly. Mm-hmm. And of course, in those days, he was mostly ignored. Uh, so, so anyways, a year later, uh, uh, they announced that this new division, PlayStation Productions, uh, their first production was, uh, uh, Uncharted, uh, with, uh, uh, so the guy we hired for them was Carter Swan. We worked directly with Assad Quizlebach on that project. Uh, and it was a great project. We had a really good time working on that. So from there, they called us up and asked us if we were interested in working with, what was then called the Virtual Art Services Group down in San Diego. I think now they're just called Art Services, but okay. uh, they were basically a production wing down in San Diego that had motion capture stages in San Diego and also in Playa Vista. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of, they were doing a lot of animation, a lot of mocap filtering, a lot of uh, rigging, character design, facial blend shape type stuff. So we wound up working, we wound up working with them for a year. Uh, initially, it was all software engineers. So we hired them, you know, a software engineering manager uh, and uh, then a bunch of different software engineers like, you know, uh, Pipeline and Tools, uh, Maya. I don't remember them all. There was probably about a half a dozen of them. Uh, and then uh, we, the last project we worked on in San Diego was hiring them a uh, lead facial uh, blend shape or facial rigging uh, TD. Okay. Uh, so. We, the guy that we found uh, came out of Weta, uh, but I was also recruiting riggers and people of similar nature for other companies in different markets, right? So we always make sure there's no conflict of interest that, you know, we could be recruiting the same positions, but if one position is in Mumbai and the other one is in, uh, you know, Los Angeles, we don't really consider that a conflict of interest. Right. Uh, and our clients always know that we're working on multiple projects. And they kind of like us for that because we're constantly looking to see who's available, what talent's out there, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, so I forgot what I was talking about. Oh, I know. Uh, so, so anyways, the last project we worked on with them was uh, they were working on a project. They were building an art service studio in Kuala Lumpur. Okay. Uh, and so we got on the phone with the, uh, the director of the art services group, Mike Mumbauer, uh, and Mike and I had actually worked together on, uh, he was in the motion capture team on Polar Express. So we knew each other from those days. Uh, and uh, and his boss, Dave Hendler. Uh, and they we got on a phone call and they described what they were looking for, for, you know, this new studio. Uh, and, you know, they sort of read their job description. And I was listening to what they were saying. And then after it was over, they were like, so what do you think? And I was like, yeah, good luck with that. And they were like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, Guys, it's two jobs. You want a CFO who is also an art director, who can also manage talent, who is also a liaison to the government. You need to split that into two positions. And, you know, they agreed with me. So we actually, I actually worked with them to write the job descriptions. And then we started recruiting people uh, 
in these now two different categories, one which is going to be artist management and production, and the other one was going to be, you know, finance, operations, government liaison. And the interesting thing about that is when we started interviewing people uh, for those roles, it was January of 2020, I think. So, you know, I've been hearing about the, you know, COVID uh, and the pandemic, but I was largely like, yeah, it's just another flu. I'm not worried about it. Right. And so then I'm interviewing people in Southeast Asia and, you know, that like the esports business was just like decimated instantly. Right. Uh, so all the people I was talking to were working remotely or they were no longer working or they expected not to be working very soon. So that was my first indication that, oh crap, this stuff is really serious. Right. So we continued working during the pandemic uh, and we spent a year working with Sony Innovation Studios, helping them find graphics programmers for uh, uh, their virtual production setup down at Stage 7 in Culver City. Right. Uh, and, you know, we were also working with game studios. We worked with Microsoft and Innovation Studios uh, down in Santa Monica. They had moved into the old Luma picture space. Okay. Uh, and we were working with them uh, to, you know, fill a couple of tech positions uh, for them as well. So, uh, it was, you know, it, so we had the experience of the virtual art department with jungle book and lion King and actually going down there and see how it worked and what they were doing. Uh, and then also from jungle book to lion King, seeing how the tools had progressed. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think that the key for us is because, you know, I know so much about this business, uh, and you know, as Jackie does as well, she's, she's like a news junkie and, like one day I had an epiphany that I could take her news junkiness uh, and help convert that into sourcing talent. Uh, and, you know, she was actually really good at it. I think it took her like a year to get up to speed. Uh, and during that first year, I was like double checking everything and giving her notes on who I thought was a candidate and why and who I would pass on. Uh, and then, then from that point on, we just started splitting jobs and, she would take one and I would take another. So the last project we worked on with PlayStation was they were relaunching uh, uh, PlayStation uh, PlayStation Plus. I don't think that's what it was called. I'm blanking on the name right now. Okay. And then they were also going to be launching a live services division. Right. So we were hiring all these positions for San Mateo as well as London. And they were positions we had never worked on before, like financial planning and analysis, uh, strategic finance, uh, content planning, like directors or management levels, uh, you know, uh, executive VPs to come in and build loyalty programs uh, and then people to build to work on those loyalty programs. It, you know, it was a really interesting job because, you know, for the loyalty programs project, I was talking to people from, you know, Marriott, uh, McDonald's, uh, Sephora. Uh, you know, uh, you know, all, all of those type of airlines, all types of places that had really rock solid loyalty programs right. and sort of learning how that business works. So it was interesting stuff. So anyways, the, during that process, I neglected the fact that we spent almost three years on an eight week project with the MSG Sphere team. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's one in, so we started, there's one in Burbank. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, we we started with them soon after uh, Madison Square Garden bought Obscura Digital, yep. which was up in the Bay Area. Uh, and that was about a year plus, maybe a year and a quarter, just recruiting all, you know, hardcore technology positions. Many of them I'd never heard of before. Uh, and I also got a good uh, 
Because we were looking for people that had LED experiences, both setting up and maintaining, but also designing pipelines, you know, and all of that kind of stuff, the people that I were interviewing uh, were uh, coming out of uh, doing virtual production shots for films. One guy I interviewed was describing a project he worked on for Guardians of the Galaxy 2, uh, and he had just come back on tour from tour with Keith Urban and was about to go out with Billie Eilish. So, so then, so it's like, okay, this is, this stuff is really fascinating. So, you know, so we got to work on, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff with MSG Sphere. And then we went on hiatus. Uh, and then once they got the Burbank studio up and running, we came back, uh, still recruiting, uh, technical positions. Uh, and now it expanded out. So we're working with the, the Bay Area teams, as well as the New York teams, uh, hiring people. And then we started hiring people for, you know, to work on the Rockettes, you know, the Rockettes Christmas shows. Right, right, right. And, you know, all of that kind of really corny stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Interesting. Interesting. And so, I mean, you've really diversified a lot of the the talents, you know. How, you've learned a lot about the different roles and different things from different areas at this point, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it helps that I'm a rabid consumer of pop culture. Uh, <laughs> you know, I... Uh, I've always been a, you know, a film fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I got older, my taste became more sophisticated. Uh, and the, uh, I had the great good fortune to work with the Imageworks head of training, uh, Sandy Scordos. Uh, and I worked very closely with Sandy and she knew of my interest in films, uh, and, uh, sort of pushed me into creating like presentations on various aspects of film. So the first one I did was I did like a two hour presentation on visual storytelling uh, at MIT. Uh, I was part of a team that had from from multiple studios that had come in to work on an interstitial project, which was converting uh, linear media to nonlinear media. So I was the linear guy. So I was like, you know, uh, you know, talking about visual storytelling and you know, giving them a lot of examples. Uh, and then that sort of expanded out from there into doing uh, basically like film series, uh, screwball comedy, uh, film noir. And then I started, I did film noir twice. And then I did, I did screwball twice as well. And mostly because I got to sit in the in screening room uh, and screen 35 millimeter prints of all these films that I loved. So I could sit there and watch Touch of Evil and Sullivan's Travels and, you know, and also sort of expose this to, you know, many of the digital kids who, you know, really had never heard of, you know, well, who's Leo McCary? Uh, and like, who's Irene Dunn? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and then I would go and take like screwball comedy and I would break it down into the socioeconomic background, right. as well as the, what was going on in art literature, uh, and then I would go into these are the major stars, these are the major directors, and you know I, the, my presentation style was about seventy percent showing them clips and images, and thirty percent setting them up and talking about stuff. Right. Interesting. So, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so you know, and I always had this really freaky. You know, from when I was a kid, I could remember who directed what film, who was the cinematographer, who acted in it, what they went on to do. Uh, you know, and that knowledge that I'd never even studied. It just stuck. Uh, I was able to translate, translate that really successfully into artist management. So I could walk down the hall and know everybody who I was running into, uh, where they came from, what projects they worked on. So the recruiting teams would also track me down and saying, okay, so we need a shader writer who's good with working in this type of, you know, translucent 
uh, shader that's a little viscous, a little organic, mm -hmm. you know, sort of like the pods in Matrix. And it was like, oh, okay, so you need to talk to this guy, that guy, that guy, and that guy. Right. Uh, and it, it served me really well. Once I got over 300 people in the department, I, you know, I started to just know them by their resumes. Sure, sure. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, by the way, if you, uh, you do have a, a passion for, uh, I also have a passion for filmmaking and, and, and old film history and directors and all of that stuff. And in fact, uh, I have a second podcast that you may enjoy called Martini Giant, where we talk about movies at an ex <laughs> big extent of all of our passion for all those old films. So, oh, okay, cool. uh, you should check it out. But I am, I, I am curious about the idea of, 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 of talent and how it's changed and, and w you must see also a change in the way that films are being made today compared to where they were before. How, how is, what are your thoughts yeah. on that, on that shift and that change of filmmaking? You know, I think for me, it was, uh, uh, you know, coming out of a small studio like Metrolight where I started as a production manager. And then, uh, when I left, I was head of production. Uh, and there was a lot of generalists working at Metrolight and the film projects were small and quick. Uh, so I sort of learned a little bit about film there. And then when I went to Independence Day, uh, I was, you know, I was the guy responsible for, you know, the daily operations, uh, of the running of POP and, you know, the show and all this stuff. And me and Andrew D'Amico actually shared that work. And after, at a certain point, about a third of the way into production, we sort of shifted our hours. So I was working like second shift, uh, but my weekends were like Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, so, you know, she could take, have some time off and we sort of split it, uh, you know, split it that way sure. for the remainder of the show. But so I went directly from that into Imageworks, which was rapidly becoming an assembly line studio. Mm -hmm. You know, when I first walked in the door, projects like, uh, you know, Michael, Ghost in the Darkness, uh, Anaconda, and then later, uh, Starship Troopers in Contact were still really kind of almost like. Uh, transitioning from generalist to specialist mm -hmm. type of pipelines. Uh, and so from all of that, I learned to be flexible and be alert for changes in what was happening with the pipeline. And, you know, one of the things that I would do when a project was in production, uh, I would grab like all the leads and supervisors from a show uh, and I would take them across the street to the Culver lot, to the executive dining room uh, and have food brought in. And I'd be sitting there with coordinators and crewless, and we would go through what everybody was doing on the show to sort of get a snapshot for how they were performing. But it also pointed out positions that I didn't even wear existed. Like, you know, one time I was talking about laying somebody off and they're like, oh, you can't lay that person off. I was like, why? I was like, well, they're the only person who could do this. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, well, what's that? Mm -hmm. You know, and it was like using Maya to stitch a world mm -hmm. that surrounded the camera that was parried that was parented to the camera lens. Sure. Uh, so it was allowing me to learn all these new positions as they were, they were coming up. Uh, and then that just continued, you know, with Stanley vision. Now, you know, working with projects, uh, com clients like, uh, you know, digital fish, uh, and uh, innovation studios and, you know, uh, PlayStation, we also started to work on brand new positions. Uh, and the first thing that I noticed was that, uh, the new generalist in this area of rapidly converging games and cinema and virtual production and everything that goes along with it, uh, that uh, the people who were the, the new generalists were the technical artists. Uh, 
And the difference was the technical artists had to have an understanding of scripting and pipeline and what was happening under the hood, as well as having strong aesthetics uh, and able to light and model and texture, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I learned that, okay, this is a new position. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, we spent quite a bit of time recruiting those types of roles for Digital Fish. And the people we were hiring for Digital Fish were being placed in like Facebook to work in their AR group uh, and places like that. So we had the great good fortune to always be working on, you know, different stuff. I mean, we were still working on visual effects projects. Uh, you know, we went into uh, visual effects, you know, episodic during the, uh, you know, the we sort of joined maybe midway through the streaming uh, gold rush where everybody was creating you know, property, and there were not enough people around the world right. to do the work. So we worked with studios like, you know, Crafty Apes and uh, Alchemy. We worked with Spin Effects and Rocket Science up in Toronto. Uh, we spent like six months working with uh, Streamland Media. And this was right after Streamland uh, had bought the visual effects and post business from Technicolor. Uh, so a lot of the people at the Technicolor went over to Streamland. You know, I knew them and had worked with them for years. Uh, at Technicolor. And at Technicolor, I worked with like all of their companies. So, uh, you know, and some of them I worked with before they were purchased by Technicolor. So I did like a three month project with at the mill in Los Angeles. Uh, and, you know, one day I got a call from Tim Sarnoff saying, you know, what do you know about the mill? And I'm like, oh, okay, well, they're really good. You know, their technology is great. Their creativity is great. The average age is about 27. So whenever I walk in the building, I think the average age goes up by about 50%. <laughs> uh, but, you know, their work is really solid. And I like the people that I'm working with. So, you know, and I said, why? And he said, well, I think we're going to buy them. I was like, well, yes, they'd be a good company to buy. Right. Uh, and he had previously done the same thing with Mr. X. Uh, and Jackie and I had worked on like four projects with Mr. X at this point, mm -hmm. working directly with Dennis Berardi and Sarah McMurdo, uh, you know, helping them find people in their studio. Uh, so we had worked with a lot of the companies uh, before uh, Technicolor purchased them. And then after Technicolor purchased them, uh, I did a consulting project with Technicolor where I, you know, they they hired me to, con to, cons to travel to all the different studios and analyze how they were doing recruiting. So it was a little bit of the process of what was their process for recruiting and uh, as well as who were the key people and what were my assessments of the key people in these roles. Uh, and then I, you know, I interviewed like 50 people, uh, you know, in uh, Toronto, London, uh, Los Angeles, and, you know, Bangalore, that, those were just like Zoom calls. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wrote a 75 page report uh, rec making a lot of recommendations. Now, as a consultant, they're used to being ignored. Uh, you know, I, I did a consulting project with Method. They ignored it. Mm -hmm. uh, I did a consulting project with Third Floor. They ignored it. Uh, so uh, so anyways, uh, and then probably, so I was in contact with Tim about doing part two of the, the consulting project. And he asked me to, uh, he said, look, we're just going to hire you uh, because this the second phase, which was going to allow me doing a deep, which was going to involve me doing a deep dive into all the job titles and all the salaries all around the world of all of the creative services companies within Technicolor. Uh, and to give me access to all of that stuff, it would be too hard to do it as a consultant. So, you know, they brought me in and hired me 
And I think the first project I worked on was I spent two months in two months in Montreal working with Micros Animation, uh, helping them with various aspects of bringing talent in uh, and then helping them understand and set up how reverse recruiting worked, uh, which was, you know, it was interesting because most of the people at Technical I was working with had never heard of it before. Right. And they're like, what do you mean you're talking to this person about working at Weta? And he was like, we don't hire people for Weta. I'm like, well, yeah, you kind of need to. <laughs> uh, you know, and you hire them for all these other studios because you're building a really positive reputation with the artists, which you might not know your reputation is not that great in the artist community. Right. So Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, so I am curious, uh, you know, obviously right now, if I'm not talking to a bunch of places about what they're trying to do or the kind of people they're looking for, uh, they are all looking for machine learning people, <laughs> right? They're looking yeah. for that. And that is, uh, it seems that that is an extraordinary challenge to find the right people for the right positions and that stuff. Have you guys been sort of looking into that? And what, what are your thoughts on, on the, that, that challenge? You know, we're, I mean, we're aware of the positions and, you know, we stay on top of what's going on in the industry and who's doing what. Mm. Uh, but we haven't actually worked on a project re uh, recruiting people with machine learning. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think the closest we came to it were senior graphics programmers for Sony, Inno Sony Innovation Studios, as well as uh, 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 Pixel Opus up in the, in uh, in, at Bend, Oregon, which was one of PlayStation's companies. Mm -hmm. So we were interviewing people that had experience working with machine learning and, you know, computer vision and all of that kind of stuff. But we haven't worked on them, those positions directly. Um, you know, we just, we had just started working with a startup game company uh, that was uh, doing uh, uh, a game uh, content that would be using utilizing uh, blockchain and Web3 and all of that kind of stuff. And we were just getting started with them looking for a CTO, a COO, and a CEO mm -hmm. when we got a call from the client about a week and a half into the project going, so have you been following this stuff on SVB? Right. And I was like, no, who's SVB? Right. So he explained it to me and he said, yeah, and all our venture capital was there. So we were like, oh, okay, well, we're going to go on hiatus. Just call us back when, sure. you know, when you need us again. Right. So, you know, we sort of get to, we get to touch on a lot of this crazy stuff that's happening in the industry. And all the while we were working with all of these different companies, I saw the, the company's attitude toward on-site or remote, you know, shifting. Mm -hmm. Like, when we first started with Sony Innovation Studios, they were very by the book. Nope, they have to be on site. Yeah, of course. And here's why. A, B, C, D, E, F. And then halfway through the project, they were like, well, you know, they could maybe work part-time, you know, remote, but they have to be in Los Angeles. Uh, and and then it turned to, we don't care where they are, <laughs> as, as long as they can sync their hours with us. And, you know, we were having the same conversations with Streamline Media. Uh, you know, we were having the same conversations with MSG Sphere. Uh, and by the time we started working with David Prescott and his team over at DNAG Animation, yep. uh, they had completely embraced it. Uh, and they brought us into... They gave us a list of like 30 positions they wanted us to recruit for this new animation division. And it was a mix of senior like supervisors, you know, rough layout supervisors, modeling supervisors. You know, it was just a really long list. And then the rest of it were software engineers right. uh, and you know, of all different types. And so the dreaded graphic programmers showed up again because 
those positions were like impossible. We got a call once from Microsoft and they said, we have 13 graphic engineer positions. We'd love you to work with us on it. And we we're like, yeah, we're booked. Yeah. Uh, so we, we're not working on that stuff again. It's crazy. You guys just don't realize that there are not that many people out there. And the ones that are out there that you want, you're going to have to pay through the nose. So if you start talking about pay bans, you're like wasting your time. You're, you're just never going to hire these people. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, but with DNAG animation, it was really cool because it was a new division. Uh, David, I had worked with for many years. I know David, yeah. Uh, initially, because I was always trying to recruit the guy mm-hmm. uh, and I could never get him. Uh, and then, you know, we stayed in contact and I ran into him in the hallway at Technicolor. He was working on sort of creating a sort of a beauty business for Technicolor visual effects and post. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just sort of, you know, struck up conversations again. So he called us to, uh, help them recruit for all of those positions. And DNAG animation, they didn't, it wasn't as, uh, they didn't have a one location. So we were hiring people from everywhere. Uh, we, we just had to be concerned about time zones. Uh, and, you know, were uh, the time zone of the remote individual, did they sync with the hiring managers uh, and the creative supervisors of that project? So like we could recruit people from, you know, uh, obviously anywhere on the East Coast for uh, Montreal. We could even do like uh, California uh, for Montreal, which we then expanded out to be Seattle and Oregon, a little bit of Nevada, maybe some Texas. Uh, and, you know, sort of, we sort of worked that way. And we wound up hiring them uh, a shader writer uh, who I'd worked with before in ImageWorks that was in. Uh, Sarasota, Florida, he had moved to, you know, for parent care for his elderly parents. Uh, we hired him. And then we hired a shader writer, look dev guy, uh, who I interviewed the day he left ImageWorks Vancouver and he was moving back to Spain, uh, to work freelance and take care of his parents. Uh, so we hired him, uh, and he was working out of somewhere around Madrid. Uh, so it was, it was a lot of that. It was like going from, no, we can't do that. They have to be here, blah, 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 to, yeah, fine. Remote's cool. Yeah. We have no problem with that. And then we're also sort of seeing at the end of the, uh, pandemic, we're starting to see it transitioning back to working on site. Uh, we just wrapped up a project with DNEG, uh, who was building sort of a DNEG Academy, uh, I don't know if that's what they're calling it, but that's what I was, I named it that. Uh, And they were building it very heavily on the Technicolor Academy, which actually started life as the MPC Academy. Uh, I remember when Christian Robertson and his team were putting that whole thing together. Uh, And they wanted uh, trainers in animation, compositing, and Houdini effects. And they only wanted to look at people in North America, and they all had to move to Mumbai. So... I was like, okay. Uh, so we sent them the first list of people that we th- thought they should consider. And half of that list were, were talent in India. And they turned down everybody in India. They just flat out said no. Uh, and they wanted everybody in North America. So I'm like, okay. So I have to sort of show to the client that, you know, what I'm telling him about his ability to get this type of talent and what it's going to entail. Uh, and so I interviewed three compositors in North America. Two of them used to work with, work for me before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colin Campbell worked for me at ImageWorks back in the Starship Trooper days. Yep. Uh, and the other compositor, uh, Daniel, I'm blanking on his last name. 
Uh, I'd worked with him briefly at Digital Domain uh, in Florida, uh, and he had a background in uh, compositing and training as well. Mm -hmm. So, and they like, they were very interested in it. And as soon as I told them, uh, you know, relocation of Mumbai, or they might be open to remote, but you have to sync your hours to India standard time, you know, it's just like flat out. No. Uh, So, so then we started just, once we explained that to them, we started recruiting people from uh, Europe uh, as well as Australia, New Zealand, Southeast Asia, uh, a little bit of China, uh, but we still stayed away from India during the whole project. So that was sort of a different experience. I think we sort of helped them understand what the market was like and what they were looking for. And we we also find that a lot of clients will call us up and you know they'll hire us and they'll ask us to fill positions. And when we get to the part of the conversation where we're going over pay bands, uh, you know, they would either say, we don't really have uh, you know, a pay ban for this position. We're looking for you to come back to us and tell us what the market is paying. And they, you know, they asked that question because they knew I had so much experience sure. working with all of this stuff. Uh, and, um, or, you know, in the case of Sony Innovation Studios, they said, okay, here's our pay band for senior graphics programmers, but don't pay any attention to it. Uh, just come back and tell us what people are looking for. Right. So we know how much we can go back and get from, you know, the comp teams at Sony Corporate, as well as, uh, you know, budgeting these positions for future years. Right. Uh, yeah, so it was that was kind of that an makes interesting sense. process. That makes sense. Okay, yeah. so we're coming close to to uh, to now, and I just before we go, I would love to get some some advice from you in terms of people who are looking for new positions or people who are uh, trying to see, hey, you know, I've got some talent I have here. I want to know the best the best way to put my foot forward and the best way to find out about what's available out there. What how, how what would you give someone as an advice in terms of looking for that position? You know, it's, it's a good question because we're getting hit up a lot by people, uh, some of whom we recruited for other companies in the past, uh, saying, hey, I'm looking for my next gig. Uh, and, you know, in some cases, if we know the person and we work with them, and in, in the case of Rick Sanders, we had hired him for Maverick. Uh, and he was the on-site visual effects supervisor for a scandal and then went on to do Fear, Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, with Rick, you know, we have active conversations with him about sort of what's going on uh, and different ideas and what trends we're seeing, you know, and that kind of stuff. Uh, so, uh, you know, I approach this from two different ways. Uh, I've been teaching in the digital media department at Otis College of Art and Design since 2013. And I've always been working with the graduating senior class. And my message has always been, here's how you get a job. This is no bullshit. This is how it happens. So, you know, I show them this is what an applicant tracking system is. This is what these are. These are what keywords is. This is what search word, uh, search word, uh, 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 you know, optimized languages mm-hmm. and how that works. And here's how you apply online and what's really happening when you apply online. So I walk them through all of that. I even like uh, do a, a, a demonstration and I've done it for multiple classes at at Otis, where I go into LinkedIn Recruiter <clears throat> and I do a search for a specific artist. Uh, and then while, you know, live, uh, I'm going through and I'm filtering the people out and starting with 175,000 people and ending up with 133. Mm-hmm. So what I point out to them is, okay, see all these words that have blue boxes around them on the left-hand side? Mm-hmm. Those are keywords. So what you need to do is take those keywords and put them in 
to your websites, your resumes, uh, you know, anything like that. Don't be obnoxious about it. Uh, don't like, what do they call it? Stacking the deck, mm -hmm. where if you put, you know, a keyword in 70 times in a paragraph, uh, that usually just gets flagged as spam anyways. Right. So, you know, I talk to them about all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then I'm also keeping them abreast of what's going on with the industry. So I make them find new stories in the beginning of each class. We sit down and talk about them. Uh, and I also talk about new stories for, so for the, the last, the second half of last semester, it was all about unions, uh, and strikes, yep. uh, and what was happening with streaming, uh, and making them aware of comments that were coming out of like Wall Street Journal talking about Netflix release schedule for films uh, and, you know, what David Zaslav was saying over at, you know, at uh, Discovery, Warner Brothers uh, and saying, look, so you kind of have a perfect storm happening right now. You know, I'd say it a certain way because I don't want to discourage them. But, you know, it's basically you're sort of going into the industry when, you know, the writers are on strike or we're going to be going out on strike most likely. So, production was going to shut down at the same time the streaming studios were no longer doing that volume of production. So it's a, it's a harder job. So you need to make sure that your presence online is spot on. Uh, you should be actively for senior people. We tell them you should be actively talking to every recruiter you've ever worked with, uh, especially people who are independents like me or, you know, Rochelle Lewis, who I've known for years. She actually worked for me at ImageWorks at one point. We hired her to work at Stanley Vision. Uh, and, uh, you know, she has her own company. And there's a number of people out there, Deborah Blanchard, uh, Tiffany Harrington. They're all over the country. You know, you should just reach out to those people and see if you can get some time and find out for them what they're seeing as their recruiting positions. Like, what are the hot positions in the industry, uh, you know, type of thing. Uh, and I don't know, I guess that's it. You know, it's just like, you know, work who you know, right. work your network, expand your network. You know, you should have more time now to actually work on expanding your network. And there's really easy, it's really not that difficult to do, uh, especially if you're not, you know, if you're not uh, annoying. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, like whenever you reach out to somebody on LinkedIn that you don't know, you need to have a reason to be reaching out to them. Sure. And the reason can't be, I need a job, are you going to hire me? Because nothing will turn off a recruiter faster than that. Sure. Uh, but if you come back and say, you know, hey, I just went to this really interesting presentation uh, and so-and-so was talking about this. I noticed you've been recruiting in these areas. I'd love to be able to just, you know, jump on a call or do a quick chat uh, to pick your brains. So that's a much different approach. And you're going to probably get a better response. Yeah, absolutely. So it's more like sort of like active you know, reaching out to people. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I approach it from two different ways. I teach the students one way. Uh, and, you know, I work with the graduating seniors. This was actually the first semester I worked with sophomores. Uh, and I took the, the curriculum I developed for the senior business seminar class and basically just moved it into the sophomore class and told them, you know, I'm teaching you senior level stuff. This is what I teach the seniors. So you're learning this as a software sophomore. So when I see you two years from now, you better remember this <laughs> stuff. Otherwise, you know, anyways. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you did bring up a good point. I just real, I would, uh, before I go, if because there is possibly going to be a writer strike and work's going to slow down, people are going to have not necessarily be hiring as much. So there's also an opportunity to pick up a new skill that might be important to go. So what is yeah. that opportunity? Like if we, if, if you given that opportunity, what would you say? He you know what, this is a skill that's going to be important at this point. What do you think that that skill would be? Well, I would think uh, that you should be picking up skills 
that blend with technical artist roles because technical artist roles plug in everywhere. They plug into games, they plug into VR, they plug into AR, they plug into virtual production. Uh, so if you're a lighter, for example, mm -hmm. then you need to really study, you know, Python mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, any kind of like Renderman language or Arnold language or whatever. Mm -hmm. Get up to speed on the technology of it. So you're not just using Arnold to light a scene. Uh, you're using, you're writing scripts to automate stuff. You're writing scripts to pull certain, let's say you're pulling, you know, the third key and the script is going into deep detail each level. So you should be learning that kind of stuff because then, and then immediately start putting it on your resume, put it on your, you know, your LinkedIn profile. I'm a huge believer in LinkedIn, uh, which is a tough sell to artist students because they're like, I don't need LinkedIn. Right. And I'm like, yeah, you kind of do. Okay. Uh, but, but anyways, uh, you know, put that stuff on your public and professional presence, uh, as well as any new work that you're doing. If you're going through the Unreal Engine class, then there's no reason why you shouldn't start posting stuff that you're doing using Unreal. And if you're not, you're really missing an opportunity. Right. Uh, and showing, you know, this is a visual business, even though technology is a huge part of it. You know, visuals will always attract uh you know, attention. It sort of goes back to my first lecture in film history, which was on visual storytelling and, you know, talking about this is how Disney did it. This is how Hitchcock did it. This is how Orson Welles did it. This is how D.W. Griffith did it. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it still remains a visual business, but you can't just stay on the visuals because, uh, you know, you're, the market's changing. And if you're in, in 2D, it's, you really definitely need to focus on that because, you know, who knows how much of your job is going to become automated by AI and machine learning and all of that kind of stuff. You know, rotoscoping could largely move to that uh, because it's faster and it's cheaper, uh, which is going to infect outsourcing companies all around the world that are hired to do that kind of stuff. So it's a major shift as well. And the way I talk, talk to my students about AI, because I noticed that they were bringing in uh, news stories about evil AI. Uh, and so I was letting them talk about it. And then after a couple of weeks, <clears throat> you know, they, they brought in something about AI and the message I gave to them and then repeated it through the rest of the semester was, okay, so AI is not going away. There was a lot of stuff that needs to be figured out. Some of it major like intellectual property and copyrights and some of it just technology uh, and improving technology, but it's not going anywhere. Uh, so don't you think it's a better idea to know what AI is and learn how to use it? Because you're much farther ahead than everybody else who doesn't know what AI is and don't know how to use it in a production pipeline. So I usually try to approach it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. Obviously, I've been having a lot of conversations about AI and implications that it is. Sure. And there is a definitely a split uh, in duality to it. So it's interesting to see that. But listen, Stanley, it's been so amazing having you on. Uh, your insight in this industry is very important. Uh, I'd love to continue you know, the conversation. When things change, I know I'm going to call you up and say, okay, what's going on right now yeah, in the absolutely. industry? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or if you want me to help you locate people, I could definitely do that. Yes. And uh, if, or more importantly know, for our listeners, if and if our listeners are looking for people, they should definitely look to, to the oh, contact yeah. team there as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, on our LinkedIn pages, both mine and Jackie's and Stanley Vision, mm -hmm. uh, we post news stories constantly. 
Okay. Uh, and we post different stories. Like I'm posting stories about the writer strike and Jackie's posting stories about the disappointing box office of Fast X. And what does that actually mean right. for that franchise? You know, so between the two of us, we always got stuff, you know, flying out there. Interesting. And it's, it's mostly mostly because we just love it. You know, we have all these feeds coming into our email and, you know, we're reading them like daily and uh, following stuff like Puck, which is just a great newsletter. Right. Puck is now what Deadline was years ago before Hollywood Reporter bought him and homogenized. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, but anyways, I digress. No, no, it's been great. It's been great. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. It was really great. Uh, really great meeting you, Chris. And thanks again for the invitation. 